0: Right now, we're about to do some listening to Margot Black, candidate for city council. One of, I think, 242 candidates for the seat vacated by the dearly departed Nick Fish. Margot Black, advocate for housing, worked actively with tenants' rights. We've talked to her on the program before. We will be talking to other candidates, but one benefit of having talked to her before, it means maybe you get to be first in the lineup of people we interview. Margot, good morning.
1: Good morning, Jefferson.
0: Who are you? Why are you running?
1: Uh, my name is Margot Black. I'm running for uh, Portland City Commissioner, seat number two. Um, why am I running? Do we want the long answer? This is the time, right?
0: Well, you know, it, if you use, if you you give the answer you want to give, it doesn't mean that we'll have more time. It just means that's how we'll
1: spend it. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I get that. I've been asked this a lot over the last few weeks, and um, it really comes down to um, kind of a combination of the. The stars aligning and feeling called to serve. I've a lot of people have told me that I should either run for office or be a lawyer for uh, most of my life. Certainly, most of my adult life. And um, after I started organizing uh, four or five years ago around housing and tenants' rights, which is something that I, you know, feel like I almost literally stumbled into as a full-time math teacher and mom of teenagers and some littles. Uh, I started seeing the systematic forces, um, around us and how they, how they act to prevent progress and, and started really wondering, you know, in terms of folks encouraging me to run for office, you know, where, where am I most effective? And two years ago, uh, when I first considered running for this seat, I decided not to, because I decided I was more effective doing what I was doing. why that change? No longer effective there? It's not that I'm no longer effective. It's just uh, really the last four years, and 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 when I say four years, I mean you know this time four years ago during the elections. I, I've learned so much about how politics work, um, what how decisions get made, how they don't get made, uh, the some of the excuses or conversations that drive those decisions, some of the barriers, and something that has been uh, more obvious to me almost every day of trying to continue to both organize in communities and push for policy change is how inaccessible city government is, how few people even know that we have a city government that is uh, that are making decisions about their lives. And I've also seen how those decisions, very impactful decisions, sometimes hang in the balance, you know, with these five commissioners including our mayor, on, you know, a a very small group of people's feelings um, or agendas. And and these aren't the things that should be guiding our decisions. And so uh, where am I most effective? I mean, I think I can still be effective in a lot of places, but I have learned uh, through my experience and bring a lot of my own lived experience into this decision making process that I think city council needs fresh voices and fresh narratives and people who Um,
0: So it's going to have fresh voices.
1: It is going to have fresh voices.
0: And there's a bunch of voices. There's there's (laughs) a a cacophonous symphony that is running for this out of the 417 people running. Mm -hmm. Why are you better than 416 of them?
1: Well, Jefferson, I'm I'm not sure I want to think of it as being better or the best. I mean, I really believe in democracy. And I think that the people I first of all, I I think a lot of progressive voices in this race is a, a pretty great problem to have. Um, And I think that uh, the people we what we need to make sure that we do as candidates is reach as many people as possible and tell them, you know, what the menu options are and let the people decide whether they want, you know, somebody with my lived experience and and focus and the, the way that I will approach problems and solutions or they want somebody else's. And I do believe I, I bring a very unique perspective. I, I think I have a proven track record of um, both speaking truth to power and getting stuff done. Um, the, the things I get done have pretty immediate, far-reaching material impact on the folks who uh, are, are most inclined to believe that the government doesn't exist for them or care about them. Um, and I have built, you know, coalitions and organized communities across, um, class, across age, across the city. And, uh, I really, I just think that if the, if we can reach the people and let them know what city government is and what's at stake. And I believe, and I know from my experience that I want to drive change by listening to their voices. I want them to organize and mobilize and bring their demands to power. And I think that, uh, I think. That folks, I think I have a, a record that shows I mean that, and I think that folks um, will be excited about that.
0: Pop, you had a question.
2: I do. It, it's a two-part question. Actually, I have a, a, a couple of specific policy questions that I want to ask later, but right now we do not encourage negative campaigning mm-hmm. in this show or this station, but... <laughs> You have a lot of opponents. That said, what do you hate about each one of them? So the two-part question I have. First, is there any one thing which you offer, any specific skill or any specific policy position, which you don't see any of your opponents having? And then the second part of the two-part question, is there anything that any of your opponents is espousing or any weakness that one of your opponents has that you believe is worthy of mention because it could be dangerous?
1: Okay. Um, those are extensive questions. Uh, I think that I what I bring uniquely to this that none of my other opponents have is, uh, first and foremost, just a proven um, track record and, and focus on housing and tenants' rights and in ways where we're, we're thinking outside the box on that. I think that the number one issue in any poll in the last you know weeks, months, years is still housing and homelessness. Renters are 50% of Portland's population and that's growing rapidly. Uh, I know that I'm the only candidate in the race with um, a deep understanding of how housing and tenants' rights actually impacts every other policy issue that the city talks about. And the ability to move those conversations. I come from. Um, I'm, a, I'm a trained academic in math mathematics. I think that I uh, that's a very unique skill set. I my lived experience is unique. I was uh, a foster child. My mother has spent um, most of my life in institution institutionalized or incarcerated. I was a single teen mother. Um, I have lived through the the experience of being. Uh, down, you know, pushed down by systematic forces that were designed to to push me down. And I I don't know all 417 candidates personally or what their issue areas are. I know the names of a handful of them um, and haven't even memorized the list of the rest. And I don't know what what their agendas are and their strengths and weaknesses. I would say that of the candidates that I know – the the one that I am most concerned um, of winning is um, Commissioner Loretta Smith, and that is because when she was running for Joanne Hardesty's seat, um, you know I am speaking from my own um, you know my own base and and uh, the the issue that I'm most passionate about, which is housing tenants' rights, she was the only candidate who didn't return our uh, PTU's questionnaire. Um, you know she showed no interest in our issue. She's taken money from the uh, groups that have um, actively worked against our agenda and tried to delegitimize um, myself and the work we're doing, um, and I'd be very concerned about um, her winning this seat, especially because um, uh, Commissioner Fish was um, a very steady third vote on um, on our agenda. And in in meeting with him over the last couple of years, and especially since his cancer diagnosis, we had a lot of conversations about. Um, you know what it what equity really really meant and um, what was important in making policy decisions and I'd be very concerned um, to lose uh, his commitment to um, you know to housing and tenants rights and other issues like that um, with somebody who has I I believe very clearly demonstrated a lack of interest in um, in pursuing those goals
0: with Chloe you daily getting challenged by Sam Adams and mm-hmm. Mingus Maps. Chloe daily, and you being two of the more, others as well, but two of the more high profile people who've emerged since, let's call it the housing crisis mm-hmm. in Portland and Oregon. And now there's a former mayor that's challenging her. What was your reaction to that?
1: I was a little bit bewildered, frankly. Um, I, I'm very concerned, obviously. I'm concerned about what that says um, about, you know, the, I read one interview that quoted Sam or described him saying something to the effect of, you know, I was hanging around with some buddies and told me I should get back on city council. And the fact that, uh, you know, those buddies, I don't know who they are. I've, I've never met um, Mayor Sam Adams. However, I'm uh, meeting with him this afternoon. Um, I, I i just, I'm curious as to why he chose. Uh, well, Well, first of all, I just think in a time where we are bringing in these fresh voices and these fresh narratives, um, you know, why he, why a rerun, you know, I think that Sam can be impactful uh, without having to have another seat on city council. And I wonder why he was, you know, running against um, uh, somebody who the, who Portland really um, has been proud of in terms of a real people's candidate and, and, and think what uh, you will um, about uh, Chloe, but, you know she has uh, brought some massive change. She has done what she said she promised to do. Uh, she's got more on the way. I mean, we have seen incredible leadership and success uh, in housing and tenants' rights and and transit. And I just think, gosh, Sam, why why do you want to take out um, you know the really you know the left's most um, you know successful victory? Uh, it, I, I just am bewildered by it. I mean, I, I think I've... we'll
0: have a chance. I think we'll have a chance to ask him. Mm-hmm. Let me, we had on Friday. We had a chance on the to broadcast with our partner city club, the State of the State, and Governor Kate Brown gave her pitch of how the state is doing. The plurality of her remarks focused on climate change. Mm-hmm. She then talked about transportation and the importance of expanding the highway in around the Rose Quarter and going over the river. The first and last question asked, which is, wait a minute, you say that your big priority, she, her quotes included, climate change is the challenge of our era. Her quotes included, this century's problems will not be solved by last century's solutions. The first and last questions were, hey, wait a minute, how does that jibe? How does your climate focus and focusing on future solutions jibe with having our very biggest transportation spending priorities being mega highway expansions? Mm-hmm. And she gave the same answer both times, which which I mapped. The first, the first beat was climate change is the challenge of our era, something like that, and then for and then saying forty percent of our pollution comes from transportation emissions, and then saying I'll address it by market based blob something or other that I lost track of, and that, mm-hmm. that may have been the point. <laughs> what is your view? And, and there are going to be a lot of things that everybody agrees on. Okay, mm-hmm. like even though NARAL came out and endorsed. One candidate uh, without interviewing any other candidate, and they were all pro choice Oregon. Like, my guess is anybody who wins the seat is going to be pro choice. Yeah. But there will be some things you all disagree on. Mm-hmm. That might include, for instance, Rose Quarter and Columbia River Crossing, highway expansions, where you stand. <clears throat>
1: um- well, you know, I I think it's important to make these decisions with an equity lens. I mean, I I am a car user, and well, uh, me
0: too. But it mm-hmm. doesn't mean I'm proud of the habit. No,
1: I'm not proud of it either. You know, I've been a mom since I've been an adult, and uh, and have had you know I have three children, and I have and and they have friends. You know, I'm just saying. I, I look first of all. I think public transit is absolutely public transit and walkable neighborhoods and mass transit are is the future. Um, I don't think that we need more and wider highways. I don't think we need uh, more room for cars in any way. Um, I just want to I want to approach these problems with with an equity lens and just make sure that um, that we don't make decisions that are going to that the the burden of which is going to be borne by the people who are really bearing the burdens of all of our, well, our decision question. failures. My, yeah. my
0: follow-up question is going to be, well, applying an equity lens, where does mm-hmm. that land you? Uh, but, Dad, you are wa- you waving your hand with great vigor.
2: <laughs> well, uh, because I I have a question that is directly relevant to this. Metro is proposing a multi-billion dollar thing, where, which is going to involve a whole lot of people of, uh, highway and road building and, and of course the road quarter thing which has been put temporarily on hold by the transportation commission again and Joe Cortright I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Cortright has written a report which he notes that best analysis the all of these proposals will reduce carbon emissions by one two thousandth This is a great opportunity for Jeff to do his thing on charts because Joe has published a chart which shows 2,000 dots. And up in the upper right-hand corner, there is one dot representing the diminishment of all of these proposals. And so I would be interested in your take on that and what you think the city should be doing to try to influence the decisions of those bodies which affect Portland immensely, but which Portland doesn't get to make. And also, are you familiar with the proposals to have a tolling system which encourages people to carpool so that we start getting two and three and four people instead of just one person in cars, especially during commuting times.
0: So you can bundle his question with mine. They're sort of the same <laughs> question. And, and they sound like different questions. Mm-hmm. They're the same question. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately what you have, and this is where the, generally Democrats win, city council races. Mm-hmm. And if not, it's some other shade of liberal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that typically means they agree on most stuff. Mm-hmm. They even agree mostly on some housing stuff. But sometimes they'll disagree on some housing stuff mm-hmm. that cleaves down the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh This is what happens when the building trades get at odds with like, I don't know, bicyclists and people who care about asthma in black communities. Mm hmm. So where do you sort of line up on this? And do you want to sort of dance in between? Do you want to say, no, no, I think that the reason, if you want to understand one of the reasons why Sam got recruited to run, it might well be because Chloe was looking like she was going to be an opponent, that she was going to be, she was going to resist, that she was, if she ran the Transportation Bureau, that she was going to push against highway expansions. And that's why some powerful friends might want their powerful friend to run for mayor. Would you be the kind of person who would stand up to building trades or would be this say no, no, we need to make sure that we're that kind of union job. We're not yet ready to try to, provide solar panels all the time uh where do you or you know kind of dance between
1: well i need to be very honest and say that this is not a an issue that i am yet deeply informed about i I made Mm. a decision to run for office uh about three weeks ago yeah um the climate and transportation uh these are things i care deeply about but they are things that i trust really smart people around me to to teach me about um my my inclination is to support you know Green New Deal type initiatives. Uh, I don't want to take away union jobs. I want to create new union jobs. I, I I favor the just transition. I don't think this is the right time for us to be expanding highways, but I also understand the arguments for doing that. I I want to I want to look at the different uh, the different solutions that we have in front of us, and um, and really ask you know, what do we know? What don't we know? What are we assuming? Should we assume that, you know, what barriers are we um, assuming are there? And are they really there? And again, I think this is a skill set that comes very naturally to me as a as a math teacher, longtime math teacher, also as a mother, we're very resourceful, and we learn how to think outside the box. Um, So I'm not I'm really not ready to take a firm position on that, except for that I, I lean toward Um, you know, like I said, uh, encouraging um, mass and public transit, I think single car ridership. uh, We need to do whatever we can to disincentivize or discourage that. But again, I think we need to do that with a real strong anti-displacement and equity lens and recognize that most of the people in single vehicle cars on the freeways are people who have can't afford to live in our city or live near where they work, and they have to And they have to drive there. What I think is really missing is that, um, you know, I see a lot of uh, news stories about this um, from time to time. I'm certainly in a lot of activist circles that talk about this um, in their various social medias. But I haven't really um, I haven't really felt a sense of a broad community conversation um, or, you know, helping people uh, really on an individual level understand um, how how cars and driving and parking are um, really impacting our city and that it's not um, it's just not sustainable anymore. And that uh, and that we need to start to make different habits and choices. And part of that is on the individuals. But part of that is on um, the city to create those choices and opportunities to make them accessible, to um, make sure that we're not taking away your car and replacing it with a, a three hour you know, bus commute where you have to transfer four times. Um, you know We really have to look at the whole system, but sure. again, I, I, I lean toward the, the Green New Deal and, and Chloe's um, position on this. Let's
0: go something in your wheelhouse, mm-hmm. housing. What's one thing or two things that will happen or more likely to happen if you're in city hall on housing that you think are less likely to happen? if you're not there?
1: Well, I think just keeping up the conversation on housing and tenants rights in general. um, I, you know, I think whether Chloe um, was challenged by Sam, you know, making her vulnerable or not, I think we need, I I really just think everybody needs to be a a champion on these issues. Um, You know, something that I am very passionate about um, is permanent supportive housing, which was also one of Nick's, Uh, issues. I don't, um, it's, it hasn't been one of my focus areas, but it's something that I believe um, I would, I, not only would I carry on the work, but I think with permanent supportive housing and affordable housing, which I, you know, I want to say are very different than tenants' rights, where I've focused my energy mainly because there was a a paucity of, of voices and action on that. But, um, you know, a lot of the organizing I've done and, and, um, And the conversations I've been a part of has helped me see that uh, much like what you just described with Kate Brown, you know, you kind of you say the right things, you say the uplifting climate is the biggest priority. This is what we need to, and then you go say we need to expand highways and and That's freeways. That's the dynamic
0: to be clear. For right. 25 well, years. yeah,
1: of course, yeah. And I think that that Republicans you
0: know, Republicans say climate change isn't real or isn't human's fault. The mm-hmm. Democrats say it's really important,
1: and, and then and they both go build but, highways. But then it's
0: hard to manifest the right. political power to right. do real change.
1: And I see affordable housing as being uh, real similar. We we all you know we've we've passed the City bond, we've passed the metro bond. The state is pouring money into affordable housing, Um, and I've talked to people, you know, in the housing bureau in um, the Oregon the Oregon Housing and Community Services, the state agency that regulates affordable housing. People assume that housing is affordable. They assume it's serving the people that it was meant to to serve they um we all just pat ourselves on the back after the ribbon cutting and you think
0: it's keeping up the conversation
1: well it's not just keeping up the conversation i you know i have found um i mean i want accountability i want to i actually want to reevaluate the metrics we use for affordability um i want to really ask um you know why uh you know, why the rents on affordable apartments are so high and and how, you know, what metrics we're using. I also want to really talk about why we, why it costs so much money to build. You know, I know a lot of the,
0: do you think Ted Wheeler would give you the housing bureau?
1: I am sure that he would not.
0: So if you're not going to get the housing bureau and then dad will get the next question, If you're not going to get the housing bureau, you can keep up a question, the conversation Mm -hmm. by like bugging your neighbor. uh, But how would you apply your values and skills and background to what other bureau you'd run? Well,
1: like I said, I really think housing is um, a fundamental, you know, at the the bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs in terms of, you know, every conversation the city is uh, having. So I think, you know, no matter what, you know, no matter what bureau or bureaus I get, um, that would be, you know, housing. Uh, it interacts with housing. It, somehow. it interacts with housing somehow, but you know, I think it's really important to to raise the the issue that you know people aren't electing heads of a, a particular bureau; they're electing city commissioners. I, I think our bureau form of city government I share with a lot of Portlanders and thinking it's pretty screwed up. Um, I've seen, you know, I, with very you know firsthand um, how rattled City Hall was when you know Chloe in her office has. Uh, been basically trying to you know do housing bureau work without having the housing bureau um i think that i mean i just i think that's dysfunctional and i think we need to find a way to un-silo um these policy issues in city council you want
0: to give it to an unelected bureaucrat
1: you know i, I i'm not
0: or do you want a strong mayor i
1: Those
0: i like this I, well
1: i like the city manager idea like the um, bureaucrat i suppose so yeah um but uh i You know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we even still stay in charge of bureaus, Jefferson, but why can't we talk more? Why can't we talk? You know, why can't we have an agreement about, um, you know, hey, I represent Portlanders and they all want the housing bureau to do this. And so, hey, housing bureau head, um, you know, all let's do this. Right. You know, I don't mean to sound overly naive. I just think that um,
0: I do talk. But I, I Well,
1: I think we need to work together better. We right. need to not see it as such a, a territorial issue where the only person who can drive any change within a bureau is the person heading up that bureau. I just yeah. think that that's not what the people of Portland are, are. That's not what they think is happening when they vote for their commissioners.
0: Pop, go ahead. we got time for a question or two.
2: And I would be interested in having you comment on your experience as an administrator, because a good case can be made that the most important day-to-day function of members of the council are running a bureau. But on housing, what is your take on infill and the competing proposals for infill and changing zoning and even requiring changing zoning in the city relative to infill? I'd how's these your deal? So tell us about that.
1: Let's just end this with a question that could make or break your political career. I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I, uh, well, that's
2: what this campaign is going to do, right?
1: Uh, I mean, maybe not break. Yeah, Cause you could yeah, lose sure, and more sure, people sure. know who you yeah, are. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot. Um, and I believe that, um, at, at the end of the day, our, our zoning, our single family zoning, um, though that, the, the decisions that were made in the last fifty years um, to uh, move from zoning that would allow some multifamily housing and residential neighborhoods to um, very explicitly excluding that; those decisions were made for you know racist and classist reasons, and that needs to be corrected. Uh, I very much understand. Um, the concerns about uh, the residential in, infill project increasing, <clears throat> excuse me, speculative property values um, by increasing the the zoning, and I very much understand the the displacement and gentrification risks associated with that, and I share very much the concern with the um, anti displacement. PDX and and others in that community, who are um, doing their uh, hardest, working their hardest to make sure that you know whatever ends up passing with uh, RIP, the Residential Infill pro- uh, Project, comes with strong anti-displacement protections in place. And I agree with that. I think we need the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act to be passed in parallel with RIP to make sure that um, a tenant residing in a residence um, that is going to be sold by their owner has the opportunity to, to purchase that. Um, <clears throat> I think that we need a right to return policy and I think we need a um, we need a right to return policy that allows people to return, you know, to the same spot or nearby at the same place because we really have to take action to preserve communities. But I don't think that um, in and unless we have the... Most perfect policy that is going to meet all the needs. We should we should do nothing because again, um, you know, we don't have apartment buildings and duplexes and cottage clusters and whatnot in these residential neighborhoods um, because you know that decision was made very very intentionally to prevent the type of people who live in that housing from being in those neighborhoods, and that's a that's a, a legacy that. Um, is baked into, you know, Oregon's founding and constitution. And when we talk about um, dismantling uh, all of the systematic, um, you know, oppressions, uh, the patriarchy, capitalism, white supremacy, um, I think we, you know, we have to correct these historical wrongs. And it's true, unfortunately, that those wrongs will, you know, that, that lifting the zoning will mean that we'll have, um, instead of a million dollar house, we'll have five hundred thousand dollar triplexes. And I I agree with folks who say that that's not diversifying the neighborhood. That's not better.
0: We're talking to Margo Black, by the way, candidate for city council in Nick Fish's seat. Uh, and thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, Margo, we're going to be joined right now by our friend Alex Zelinsky of the Portland Mercury. We're probably going to then move on with Alex and say goodbye to you midstream. But just thought there might be an opportunity for Alex Zelinsky. She might even have a question rather than making her wait further and, and kicking you out before you might want to be kicked out. Alex Zelinsky, can you hear me?
2: Yeah, I can. How's it going?
0: I am doing well. Do you have any questions for this witness?
2: <laughs> Hi, Alex. <laughs>
1: Hi, Margo. Um, I do. None that I want to ask right now on air, though. <laughs> oh. uh, so we
0: operate in the sun. And by the sun, mm-hmm. I mean a dank basement where our yeah. studio resides. Uh,
1: I think the- that'll be my tagline for my campaign. Sunlight's the best disinfectant.
0: Where is, that's why, I mean, we must have germs in here We don't have windows. Uh, do you have a reaction to NARAL Pro-Choice, Pro-choice Oregon uh, endorsing uh, Tara Hurst prior to and instead of interviewing any of the other candidates? She's a board member of that organization. She was chief of staff to Charlie Hales. Uh, one will have a chance probably to ask her questions that include what are the priorities vis-a-vis City Hall and oh, one's right to choose how did that strike you?
1: <clears throat> so I, I don't know Tara. Um, I uh, I assume that she is every bit as great as narrow Pro-Choice Organ said in the, the Willamette Week story that I read. Um, I, I, am I'm puzzled and befuddled by it, especially if they, you know, there's organizations that endorse and, um, you know, and they tell the seven people who notice or care about that endorsement. And then there's organizations like narrow pro-choice Organ, And I would certainly assume when I get, you know, an email from an organization like that, that they went through a process and that they had looked at all of the candidates, uh, records, um, policy, you know, politics, lived experience, and actually chosen, you know, the best champion. And I'm not trying to claim that I am the best champion. However, I am a pro-choice voter, and reproductive justice is an issue that's very close to my heart. And I, you know, I'm curious why an organization that ostensibly seeks to empower women and give them choice would, um, you know, Look around at the table of, you know, what, 10, 12 folks and say, you know, let's let's vote for for one of our own and and then tell everybody that we picked the best one. And, you know, I love that they said it was a unanimous decision. Well, when <laughs> I mean, how couldn't it be a unanimous decision? right?
0: Nobody else got any votes. <laughs> no, nobody exactly. Else was on the ballot.
1: Yeah. Nobody else was on the ballot. And, you know, she's good friends with everybody. I mean, it just seems like, you know, uh uh, power begetting power. You know, this this is how um, we have uh, establishment politics, you know, reproduce itself. And to, to me, it kind of raises questions about why, you know, that there's just the whole endorsement um, by this Understood. kind of click of, of, of folks in the political milieu, you know just continues to reproduce the same systems that we claim yeah. to want to dismantle.
0: I was gonna I was gonna wrap, but then Dad raised his hand. And Dad, go ahead, you asked the last
2: question. Well I would just like to say it is a great disappointment to me whenever an organization endorses a candidate without even looking at any of the other candidates. And I had a personal experience on that where my position on narrow issues was identical to the person who they endorsed and and they frankly endorsed her because she was a her and and, and that I, and, and i i believe and believed that there the positions that they are espousing might have been better carried by a white older man who grew up who grew up in an organization Dad, that was a wait i'm not going to let you introduce you're I'm not running not, <laughs> i'm not going to let you do this uh, who who grew up in an organization that was opposed to choice that somebody coming from that background might have influence that the the narrow employee might not. Yeah. And that I would suggest is I th- has I, to do with the reason. Did you have a question? No, it's not a question. It's okay. a comment that I've so wanted I'll, to make for 20 years and I just got to make it. Okay. So so I'll I'll, I'll push back. I'll push back on that one. An, an
0: organization that is rooted in trying to beat back patriarchy and grow, I I do not have a beef with them saying that no no, what we need as people lived experience to champion those issues. I, I don't think that's hypocritical. I don't I don't think it's surprising. I even think it's laudable. Uh but uh, but I nonetheless think it's an interesting question. And I also think it's an interesting question when there is you know because one could imagine, you know, a bicycle crew saying, "Hey, we're going, let's find some big bicycle advocate to run hey you run yeah we promise we'll endorse you if you run and they come out endorsing I kind of want so I kind of want to ask NARA I kind of want to ask Ter Hurst about that anything you want to say before we wrap
1: um, on
0: any topic you get to pick anything
2: you want you can just say goodbye <laughs> any question we should have asked that we didn't
1: uh, well you didn't ask me what I was going to I mean well I guess a lot of folks have, have said in fact one of the first people I asked if how they felt about me running they said well what uh, hasn't Chloe kind of done all the all the things already like do we really need another, another tenant rights person or, you know there? what you, and and so I you, you didn't ask me what um, my what my platform is, you know, how I'm getting, if I've got anything else I know how to talk about, except for transportation, which I told you that I
2: didn't. But. Well,
0: that was, I was sort of attempting to get there with you. Yeah. not a, If you're not doing housing, mm-hmm. uh, then what, what are your priorities in addition to that? I'll ask that question. So
1: I guess the first thing I want to say is that, you know, I have been laser focused on housing and tenants rights because as I said before, there was kind of a paucity of those voices, um, you know, beating the drum and I had to stay really laser focused on tenants rights because other housing issues tick up a lot of oxygen. But I, you know, I've actually been a fighter my whole life and I have fought for a lot of uh, things um, in, uh, you know, what I want to, uh, what I want to really focus my campaign on is, you know, first of all, what, what's our job as, as uh, elected leaders of the city? Like, what does it take to win? You know, what do you, and I don't mean win the election. I mean, like, win the game, like you did it, you were a good city commissioner, you did what you said. And I think we need, Um, healthy, stable, whole, and empowered communities. And so the policies that I um, want to advance are are really going to, you know, prioritize that. I I think that every Portlander needs not you know, we don't need to be talking in terms of minimum wage. We need to talk in terms of living wage. I think we need real rent control. We need free public transit. We need an expanded public sector that really actually serves and represents the community and that the community knows they exist. What's
0: the biggest one you want to fight for that's most specific in our last word?
1: Um, I guess taxing, taxing the rich to pay for it. What's the best way to tax them? Well, um, I actually think that there should be sort of a buffet of ways. I think one of them is a a wealth tax. I think there's a windfall profits tax. I think we need to uh, look at... A vacancy tax. I guess this
0: is the taxing the rich, mu- rich music. I didn't uh, know that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because, because
0: whenever somebody starts taxing, I guess this is the music. <laughs> like. um, I, w-
1: I want to tax the tax breaks. You know, I want to look at uh, money saved from various tax breaks and uh-huh. say, well, the city will take that. Thank you very much.
0: Well, Margo Black, thank you so much you. for sitting in the seat today and being candid with us and talking to us this morning. Appreciate you. Appreciate you stepping forward to serve. We'll have a chance to talk to other candidates well, you're li- as well. You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXRY Portland, K. QAC HD3 Portland, 107.1, 91.1 FM. Thanks, Margo.
1: Thank you.